This is episode number 42 of Ships with Jumana Abu Ghazale. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McAndrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Ships. Our guest for this episode is Jumana Abu Ghazale. Jumana is the founder and president of Pivot for Humanity, the organization working to professionalize the social tech industry, creating a more responsible, ethical, and accountable internet. Jumana spent over 20 years in marketing and brand communications, developing and implementing strategies for corporations such as American Express, Yahoo, Coca-Cola, Bank of America, Alley Bank, and Hilton Hotels. She is perhaps most well-known for creating Capital One's What's in Your Wallet campaign. In 2014, Jumana founded and launched Betwixt Us, a digital conversation engine that harnesses technology to create a more authentic connection and communication between individuals on a team. So I know I always say this, but it is definitely the case with this episode. You do not want to miss it. Jumana and I talk a lot of great things about what is happening in the tech industry today. We talk about her early career working in advertising and marketing and how she learned in the business field the importance of curiosity and empathy. We talk about the distinction between connectivity versus connection, about virtual distance, and the importance of digital friction. We also talk about the importance of feeling psychologically safe in the workplace and how today's vision of the world is that the easier we make things, we think our lives are supposed to be easier. But this is in fact not the case when it comes to building relationships and how relationships take a lot of work and take a lot of effort. We talk about how friction is good for us. And then we talk about the work she's doing with her organization, Pivot for Humanity, and how there is this movement to professionalize the tech industry and to discover ways in which the tech industry can run ethically. It's a really great episode that I highly recommend tuning in for the whole thing for. And if you think this will resonate with someone, please feel free to share it with a friend. If you have someone who is feeling overwhelmed by tech and is looking for answers, please point them to this episode. So, without further ado, please let me introduce Jumana Abu Ghazale. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today we have Jumana Abu Ghazale with us. Thank you so much for being here, Jumana. Thank you for having me, Pat. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to dive in this conversation with you. We got connected, 
I guess it was almost a year ago. It's kind of hard to believe. You know, I, I read about the work that you were doing with Betwixt Us at that time and was very inspired by the work that you were doing and very much in line with the work that I'm pursuing. And so I reached out and I was so excited for us to connect. I was too. I remember um, meeting you at that uh, coffee shop and talking uh, well beyond the time we were supposed to talk. Uh, we had a <laughs> yeah. lot in common. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I'm very excited to have you on the Ships podcast. And I think our listeners will really resonate a lot with uh, what you're going to share with us. And so I'm wondering if you could just start out by telling us a bit about your background and what led you down the path that you're pursuing today? Yeah, so for for some context, uh, I'm a you know literature philosophy geek who went to business school. And in, in college, you know, I loved getting lost in novels and journeys and stories of people and thought experiments and ideas. And you could say I considered myself a committed right-brainer. So I was really... Um, nervous about going to business school because it seemed like a very different world, that word of world of spreadsheets and regression analysis and um, numbers. Interestingly, I got there and I just, I loved the case studies. I loved the case studies because I realized they too were stories of human motivation and ambition of relationships, of struggles, of disappointments and triumphs. And so I realized then that everything, and not just in the arts, but everything from, you know, small business to big business, from history to science and technology, from the formation of nation states to the, to the wars that ravage them, everything is actually about the human condition, about someone who has something to say or something to prove or something to protest. And from there, it's about connecting with others and pulling them into your story. And so... Uh, while I was in business school, yeah, I decided I wanted to go, uh, you know, the next thing I wanted to do was something that helped me that combined the left brain and the right brain. And that led me into advertising, um, where, you know, my impression was that's where business and art commingle. And I was, when I was, uh, you know, at, at the agencies, I was, uh, what some people call a strategist or a planner. And so my job was basically to find the feeling that drives the business and the feeling that draws people to a business. The way I think about my role is that um, it was to solve what's, what people thought of as business problems with uh, human solutions. So for example, you say you want to increase sales of X or you want to change the image of product Y. But what you really want to do actually is find the right people and make the right connections with them. So my job effect, effectually wasn't to sell you something. It was to understand who you are and then to help the company give you what you need. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah. As a planner, you know, I learned I, the two most important skills you can have as a, as a planner or strategist are curiosity and empathy. If you want to sell cars, you have to know what it's like to love cars. You have to effectively become a car lover. And then you're moved to another assignment and, and you have to understand or get as close as possible to understanding what it's like to live with migraines or to be a sports fan or a working mother or a retiring man. It's a, in a lot of ways, it's like method acting, but for business. That's interesting. And why would you say, I guess, out of all the different skill sets that you could learn in working in advertising or working with in business in general, why is it specifically curiosity and empathy? You know, uh, everything, this is probably not going to be that popular, but um, everything in life is, is, uh, is sales. 
um, you're selling yourself to yourself, you're selling yourself to your partner, you're selling yourself to your friends. And um, in order to, to, to do that well, to be a good salesperson, you really need to understand your audience. You need to know what it's like to be them, to feel their pains, to understand their perspectives, to know where they're coming from. And when you go into the world of business, uh, particularly in a role like mine, um, where my job was to find a, kind of be able to convince people that whatever product um, or brand I was suggesting was the right one for them, it, the most important thing was to understand uh, life from their perspective. So, you know, in a lot of ways, um, the, the, even though the, a lot of the roles we talk about today are kind of this chief marketing officer, um, you know, the, what I learned is that it's more important to be a chief empathy officer and understand what your audience wants in order to be um, able to deliver something meaningful to them rather than just understand what it is that you're selling. So curiosity and empathy allow you to make real connections with people. And because you make real connections, you are better able to relate to them, to, um, to provide them with what they need to solve their problems. Right, right. It really is this beautiful approach that, uh, at least in my opinion, a beautiful approach to, to business. And like you were saying, to advertising, to marketing, because I think sometimes people get turned off by marketers or advertisers in, in a way that they're like, oh, you're, they're just looking to sell, 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 like anything to make the quick buck. But really taking a step back and realizing that, no, it's not necessarily of that. A lot of times it's these people are really trying to help you in the best way they know how and being able to provide a product or service that is going to enhance or improve your life. Like, I, I feel like looking at it from that perspective, it really opens our eyes more so into what the world of business is really all about. Yeah, it's it's uh, or should be about. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there are there are people who will take advantage of things for sure. <laughs> and so I'm very curious then, you know, you're working in advertising and marketing really in the business world. And so where does your path go from there? Uh, a few years after um you know, I landed in New York and started working um, in advertising. Uh, I decided I wanted to go freelance. And this was uh, in the early aughts. So the gig economy was just starting. It wasn't like all the rage then. Um, but, you know, I went from spending a lot of time with a, with a group of people that I was working with, um, lots of late nights in the office, early mornings on the road, to being remote and working um, from home a lot of the time or coming into the office, um, but, but only for meetings. And a lot happens over cold pizza at three o'clock in the morning when everyone's hustling to get the kinks out <laughs> of a presentation. You yeah. learn a lot about each other. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about um, who you are and what, what triggers you and um, who other people are. And, you know, I, I, when I went freelance, I suddenly lost all that shared context with my coworkers. I couldn't tell if they were having a good day or a bad day. Um, I didn't have a sense of um, how uh, tired they were, how much they were working or where their families were. And same with me, they sort of lost all 
um, connection to me as a human. And the only thing that remained between us was sort of the, the, the timeline and the deliverables. And um, very quickly, it became clear that most of our conversations were about the work and not about the people behind the work. Mm. And, you know, you, when, when that happens, uh, you have to work a lot harder to, to drive cohesion and collaboration and innovation and inspiration because a lot of that comes from banter. A lot of that comes from um, stuff that's off the cuff and uh, that's not pre-planned. It's, you know, there's a reason why the water cooler is such a great metaphor. There's a reason why so many um, deals, you know, uh, historically have been made on uh, golf courses because people get to spend idle time together and see how you react under pressure and talk about things that um, show you whether you really want to work with a person, whether you believe them, whether you trust them. And so when you remove all those cues and uh, work, you know, remotely, it really fundamentally changes the balance of the chemistry of a team. Um, and you have to work a lot harder to remind everybody on the team that um, everybody's human. One of the things, you know, you learn working as a freelancer is that everybody becomes very conscious about protecting your time and same with you and other people. So you spend less time on the phone saying, so how are you? How was your weekend? Blah, blah, blah. People skip that stuff because they say, I want to be respectful of your time. Huh. Um, what ends up happening though, is that you completely dehumanize a person. They become essentially, you know, uh, robots. They are there to do a job. And the, the, the only thing we talk about is whether the job was done. And something gets lost when, when you do that, when, uh, you know, when somebody feels like they're doing all of this work and nobody cares about who they actually are fundamentally. And on the flip side, it takes a lot more work to get people to trust you when they can't look you in the eye, when they can't, um, you know, see how you react in certain environments, when they can't witness uh, your moments of, of weakness and your moments of strength. Um, so you have to work really hard at earning the trust. As a freelancer, it, it, I went from being able to communicate and inspire a group of people rather quickly to having to work really hard to sell, in this case, become really selling the thing that I was building. In the beginning, it was like, oh, I, I would share it with people. And now I had to sell it to them. And that distinction was really uh, quite jarring for me. And I realized that a lot more people were in my situation where, you know, you couldn't, you didn't see the faces of the people you were working with. You, you didn't often hear their voices. You didn't hear if they, if there was a, you know, if somebody had a sniffle, you couldn't ask them if they had a cold or how they were feeling. Like there was, there was no, um, no human connection. And I realized that there was, one of the things that was happening is that a lot of people were confusing connectivity with connection. The fact that, you know, I could reach you at any time of day with a message um, is very different than actually asking how you are as a human being and hearing the tremor in your voice or the joy in your voice. Um, and so, you know, in a world, if, if you believe like me that, um, you know, the best business is a business based on trust and respect and integrity and relationships, uh, you quickly realize that that's something that you have to pay attention to in a world that's very quickly becoming um, distributed and remote. 
um, you know, in a, in a mobile world, we can work from anywhere. Um, but working from anywhere, you know, it's easy to forget that you're working with people and that the ultimately the, the thing that drives the best work is the relationship you have with people. Uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. That's what Betwixt Us uh, came out of. Betwixt Us is, you know, uh, purposefully an old English word, you know, an old English name for a modern company. So um, it's just basically saying what's actually between us. And Betwixt Us is a company that's designed to serve um, teams, small groups of people that work together uh, across space and time. We are, we are separated by geography, we're separated by time zones, we're separated by culture a lot of the times. Um, and the premise behind Betwixt Us is that for a team to work well together, to be cohesive, to be innovative, to produce, for people to work hard for each other and on behalf of each other, you, they have to trust each other and to trust each other, they have to know each other and to know each other, you have to have conversation. Um, that's what humans do. We talk to each other. That's how we learn. And so Betwixt Us is sort of, is um, firmly committed to the idea that, again, curiosity and empathy about people and each other um, is the driving force of great work. And so no matter where you are in the world, if you're working with somebody, the thing that's going to make it that the glue that's going to hold a team together is the fact that they care about each other, that they understand each other, that they're willing to forgive each other, that they trust that they're not going to betray each other. Um, and that's one of the things that hasn't been built into any of these sort of collaboration products. Collabor collaboration tools are made to make work more efficient, not more intimate. They, did, they don't incorporate the water cooler. They don't incorporate, you know, people bumping into each other in the office or standing together waiting for the coffee to brew or um, that idle time when you're, when you're learning about each other as human beings and therefore are more willing to accept each other's foibles. And so Betwixt Us is a way to say, who are we to each other and how, what do we need to know about each other in order for us to do our best work, for us to show up and be happy to do the work? Yeah, it's so amazing how these small occurrences or what may seem like small occurrences that happen throughout your daily life or your, you know, your work day when you're spending time with the people that you work with, how all of those small occurrences, like you said, whether it's a tremor in the voice, whether it's just asking how someone's day is going or how their night was the previous night, how all of these small things add up to this huge level of trust and relationship building over time. And I think that Betwixt Us is doing some incredible work specifically in building those relationships over the cloud. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that a bit. Obviously, what you were saying through building trust and meaningful relationships, it's so important in the workplace. And so I'm curious as to how is this possible to build relationships over the cloud, over the internet? Is it possible? And if so, how? Yeah, um, it's interesting because, you know, there's this concept um, called virtual distance. And virtual distance is made up of a number of things. So if you're sharing a context with somebody, so if you're in the same building um, or in the same sort of office, 
you all know whether the air conditioner is working or not working, if it's too hot or too cold, you know what, you know what time of day it, it is, when people come in and come out, you see whether somebody's had breakfast or not. And that, you know, is means a distance between you and somebody is, is small. Um, now you, you, virtual distance increases with sort of the kinds of things that come between you and a very deep understanding of another person. And that could be geography. So um, if I'm in a, you know, if I'm in a different time zone and you're starting in the morning and I'm starting late, we are, you know, at opposite ends of our days, my energy and your energy are different. That increases the, the, the distance between us. And then you add culture and um, habits to that and language and you realize, and you know, um, I mean, culture, not even just um, uh, social culture. I mean, like across disciplines in a company, you have uh, people who are the engineers and people who are the marketers. Those are culturally different groups. And so the more sort of differences in context you add to a relationship, the bigger the distance. And so we have, uh, we're in a world where the cloud connects us and gives us, a, an, you know, like makes it seem like we're in the same room. And so ultimately you say, is it possible to build trust over the cloud? And the simple answer is yes, absolutely it is, but it takes work. And it's um, in a lot of ways antithetical to everything that um, you know, technology has been trying to do you know, over the last decade or a couple of decades. And that is to remove friction, right? Technology is supposed to make it really easy. So one click, how, how quickly can I get from A to Z? Not from A to B to C to D, but from A to Z. How many steps can I skip? And trust doesn't work like that. Trust is actually based on friction. It's based on understanding that we might disagree, that we might not share a context, but that we can get over it. And it's really fundamentally simple. If you are willing to have a conversation with somebody, if you're willing to ask them questions and to listen to their answer and to accept their answer and to push back or to agree enthusiastically um, or to ask a follow-up question, that's how relationships are built. That's how trust is built. It's, you know, you, you can't mime your way into it. You can't sort of, uh, you can't phone it in unless you take the time to really have the conversation. And so, um, if you think about the context of how people get along, whether it's in business or in personal life, in families, in um, romantic relationships, it's a, life is a series of questions and answers. Do you want to do this? No, I'm not in the mood. I'd rather do that. But I want to do this. Okay, well, how about we compromise and do this instead? That's everything all the time. That's how you relate to your parents. That's how you relate to your siblings. That's how you relate to um, your partner, that's how you relate to your business partner. And we have to remember that that's a really important part of the process and that the cloud is very able and willing to support that. We just have to remember to do it. And that's what Betwixt Us helps us do. It helps us say like, what, what, what questions? I mean, what you're doing right now in a lot of ways is building a relationship with me. We're having a dialogue, right? You're asking me questions um, unfortunately, in, in this case, it's more you asking and than me asking about you. But if this were about building trust, it would have to be reciprocal. Or you show me yours, I show you mine kind of thing. 
And that's how trust is built is slowly, uh, progressively, you and I um, go, you know, peel the layers of the onion. And, you know, it's the, 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 the joke is you peel one layer at a time and you both peel it. And at, and at some point, at some point, everybody cries. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's trust is built. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you're absolutely right when you talk about like this mutual sharing that really that, that both people have to share both of their sides um, in order to build and develop that trust and develop that relationship. And that's something that even just in recent years, I've come to discover about myself because I find that I'm, I'm more of a listener. I'm always asking people questions about their lives. And there's times where I'm, I think like, oh, well, they don't necessarily want to hear about my life. Like, I'll just keep asking about theirs. But what I've come to discover is like, no, ex exactly what you said, that reciprocal sharing is essential to building meaningful relationships. It's a big part of, um, it's a big, it's a big part of betwixt us and our philosophy um, on, on trust and relationship building. Um, you know, a lot of the internet today is, you know, uh, is binary. It's either sort of voyeuristic. You can go on and learn um, a lot about somebody without saying anything about yourself, without them even knowing that you're learning about them. You go, you, you, you know, look at their Facebook or LinkedIn or social media and you gather information. Um, the other side is you broadcast, you sort of, you tweet to the world or you, uh, again, on social media, post whatever you want to say. Um, the, you know, the internet hasn't so far been designed to encourage back and forth. It's, uh, it's, you know, so it's either broadcast or voyeur, voyeurism. And uh, there's room, we believe, for something that encourages more conversation, more debate, more back and forth, more, more depth. Um, you know, so it's not like, uh, it's not enough to, to like somebody's comment. It's important to know what about it you like and what worked and what didn't. And did you really read it? Um, those are the kinds of things that we're interested in. And, and um, Betwixt Us believes that trust is built on reciprocity. And that means that if I'm willing to be vulnerable, then you need to be willing to be vulnerable. And if you're not, then we know there's a breakdown. There, we know there's, the, our relationship is only going to go so far. And we think that's really important knowledge for the team. Um, you know, like if somebody's willing to, to, to be themselves fully, to show up fully, uh, that says something. Google did a study uh, a few years ago, a massive, massive study about the examining what, um, which teams rise to the top in terms of innovation, productivity, um, perform and performance. And num the number one thing by far is this idea of psychological safety. And psychological safety is basically trust. Do I trust that you won't stab me in the back? Do I trust that I can uh, make a mistake and not be penalized for it? Do I trust that I can um, bring my whole self uh, to work and not be shamed for it? Uh, do I, can I, can I feel safe in the knowledge that I can be me and still be accepted? That's what psychological safety is. And that means to show up and be present. Yeah, yeah, it's you're absolutely right. It's it really is like, you know, the, through this conversation that we're having, it's just amazing to think about 
like how much is required of a relationship, how much work is needed in order to build a, a meaningful relationship and an understanding that that takes a lot of time and a lot of patience in a world that is increasingly more about instant gratification and wanting things really quick. And I love what you talk about regarding digital friction. Actually, when I had Christina Crook on the podcast, she gave you a shout out and specifically uh, talked about this, the concept of digital friction that you had brought up. I, I believe it was at a conference that you were both together. And so I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on the concept of digital friction. You know, Christina is, Jomo is the jam. It's, it's like, uh, I love Christina. It was, it was really a, a pleasure to meet her at the panel and talk to her. So I'm, I'm very, very uh, flattered and honored that she, she gave me a shout out. Um, <laughs> she's doing a world of good with the work that she's doing. She is, she is. Yeah. And so friction. Yeah. Um, in a world of, in a world of move fast and break things and, you know, um, experimenting a lot of, you know, experimenting and building things and going for scale and, uh, focusing on, uh, efficiency, um, things become, it becomes really easy to sort of have very superficial, um, relationships with people and things. Um, and ideas and concepts and constructs, you know, the um, life in 140 characters can only be that deep. Uh, so the easier we make things, the, 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 the easier we think life should be, and we apply that to everything. But relationships don't work like that. People are complicated, and they're different, and they have moods. They're not, you know, they're they have uh, circumstances, life changes, and friction, if you, if you think about it, is actually how magic happens. You know, you rub two things together to make a fire, right? You, friction is, is, how, um, is how an idea gets better because somebody says no and you try to, you know, you go back and try to figure out what was wrong with it. And uh, I think that we lose a lot in this digital world when we try to remove friction and we we've done it purposefully we've 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 tried really hard in technology to remove friction we've taken pride in it without realizing that that's actually also impacting our you know our relationships how we relate to one another and and um, what it actually means to be human what it means to be a person and to have a relationship and to think about the um, other people that uh, you're engaging with and um, that they are, first of all, other people and uh, that they're, that they're deep wells and, uh, you know, understanding the surface or only interacting on the surface doesn't do any of us any service. We all end up feeling emptier, more resentful. Um, so a lot of what Betwixt Us is is saying that good ideas and good relationships and uh, um, strong relationships and long lasting relationships and progress and productivity actually comes from friction and friction takes time. And so on some things you might want the sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the quick fix or the assembly line or uh, the conveyor belt approach, but not on everything. Uh, when it comes to human relationships, 
you know, we can't afford to, to lose friction. We have to make sure that we put it back in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that I, I love I love this concept of friction because it's 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 so true. The better that we get to know somebody, or even I, I think this is especially useful when we're meeting someone who might be from a completely different background, maybe from a completely different part of the world. Naturally, there's going to be some sort of friction there because perhaps you were raised differently, you have a different outlook on life. But so long as you work through that friction, or you, or rather you give yourself the time to work through that friction, you begin to understand that you have a lot more in common than you think. And I love that. I love that you said that. Sorry, Pat, but it got me really excited because a huge part of friction is actually, it actually makes the world bigger. You discover more things. If you, if you don't, you know, to your point, which is so compelling, if, if you don't, um, it, you know, if you don't allow friction into your life, you will never try anything new. You will never feel a different texture, try a different taste or learn a different word or be exposed to a different concept because that takes work. It's friction. It's different from your comfortable state. It requires you to step outside your comfort zone and we only grow outside of our comfort zone. That's right. And you know, a lot of, that's, uh, you know, if, if you are in a relationship where, where you are identical to the other person, it's probably not a good one. <laughs> you want the friction. That's how you stretch. That's how you grow. That's how you expand your mind and your ideas. And um, like you said, that's how you grow. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering if we could switch gears, perhaps pivot, as we could say, <laughs> to... Uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like that? Um, <laughs> to uh, Pivot for Humanity, the, which you are the founder and president of this amazing organization working to professionalize the social tech industry. And I'm curious if you could tell our listeners what Pivot for Humanity is more specifically and what is your mission with this organization? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so Pivot for Humanity is a nonprofit organization and um, our focus, the, the, our, our mission is to professionalize a social tech space. Now, professionalization doesn't sound like a particularly attractive or enticing word, um, uh, but the construct is really important. When you think about somebody as being a professional, we don't have a problem with that. We feel really good about that. Um, when somebody behaves professionally, there's meaning that comes with that. Professionals know what they're doing. You trust them and you trust them for a reason. You know, Pivot for Humanity is, is in, the, in, the, in the tech space, we talk a lot about pivoting. We, we pivot from, from concept to concept, from product to product, from market fit to market fit to try to see uh, where, you know, what's going to stick. Pivoting is a big thing. Um, and we typically do it on a, on a, you know, product by product or company startup by startup space and, uh, pivot for humanity believes that the entire sector needs to pivot and we need to pivot in the way that we do business. We need to pivot, um, by, from focusing to, from focusing on, forgive me, um, move fast and break things to 
what are the consequences of what we're building and what are the reasons, what's the purpose for building them in the first place? Um, professions, whether it be, you know, uh, the law or engineering or medicine or teachers, all of the professions are librarians, um, come out of uh, a social contract that practitioners who really care about their craft have create with, with society. So, um, you know, when, if you think back to the origins of medicine, you know, there was a lot of uh, experimenting on bodies. There was a lot of uh, body snatching. Um, there was a lot of experimentation to, 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 to whether you think about, um, you know, uh, the, the Nazi experiments or Tuskegee, people experimenting on people is not a new thing. Um, and, but in that field, there are people who are like, we are here to heal and help and others want to use the, the, the discipline to do other things, to make money or to harm. And so a group of practitioners comes together and says, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with this tremendous power that we have over people. And we want to honor that and we feel the weight of it. And so as practitioners who care about our craft and care about the impact it has on society, we want to hold ourselves to a higher standard and we want to set ourselves apart. So, you know, the, uh, a group of doctors, a group of world well, medical practitioners comes together and says, uh, we believe that we want to, we, that it's important for us as a group to make explicit what we, um, what our purpose is in the world and what our social contract is with society. And same with engineering. Engineers say we have the power to harm a lot of people. When you build a bridge or a building, you have to think about the consequences of taking a shortcut, of not building it properly, of not caring about the lives as they drive over it. Um, you know, there's a, there are, when you're, when your work impacts a large group of people, it's imperative that you understand that, that you understand the weight of that and that you care about the weight of that. And so professionalizing um, social technology is basically saying there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people that are being impacted by the products developed by a few. And there are these technologies that are changing, fundamentally changing the way the world works, the way um, we connect to one another, the way we build relationships, the way we uh, learn, the things we learn, um, who we accept, who we don't accept, who goes to jail, who gets the job. Um, that's a tremendous amount of power. And if a few people have the power, that kind of power, I want to know that they understand uh, what that means, that they care about the impact of their work. And so, and basically it's saying the industry itself needs its own sort of do no harm. What are we replacing? It's time to replace, move fast and break things. What are we replacing it with? And that's the mission of Pivot for Humanity. It's still pivot, pivoting the industry from a focus on, you know, um, scale and growth and speed at all costs to uh, benefiting society and thinking about the consequences. Yeah, the tech world, specifically the social tech world, 
it almost seems like this wild goose chase of sorts where everyone's always trying to create the greatest app and really the apps and websites that are very prevalent in all of our lives on a daily basis they really do have so much control over where we put our attention and so do you believe just given your experience and all the research that you've been doing with pivot for humanity that things are really like all over the place right now and we just need to figure out a way like you said to professionalize this and make it a bit more orderly for the betterment of humankind? Yes. I mean, I think that um, if you look around, there's an appetite, you know, it's a it, not just an appetite, it's a perfect storm because, um, you know what, let me take a step back. When all of these or most of these technologies started, let's not talk about the copycats and things like that, but when, when founders start businesses, you know, they start because they want to, they want to most of the time do something good, contribute to society, change the world in a positive way, have a positive impact. Um, and so they, you, you, they start out doing this and then there's obviously the pressure of uh, uh, give me more people. How many people are on the platform? We need more than that. How are we going to monetize? All of those things um, muddy the waters. And so you know, we are human being and life itself is a slippery slope. It's very easy to sort of lose sight of the thing you started out wanting to do because the pressures um, are on you to deliver in some other ways. And so what ends up happening is that you're, you're, you get further and further from your original mission and the people who work with you become disillusioned. And you're seeing that at companies, you know, at the tech companies and the social tech companies in particular over and over this sort of dissatisfaction and this demand from the, from the employees, from the workforce, from the labor to say, hey, I came here to do good and I'm feeling really bad about the stuff that I'm doing and um, I don't know how to reconcile that. And you're seeing that a lot of people, uh, the end users are saying, wait a second, we didn't, this is, this is, you know, this isn't um, fair. You didn't tell me it was gonna look like this. And so you have, you know, the, the technologists themselves who set out to build something good, the employees who are now disillusioned with these missions, the people who are distrusting of the products that are coming out there, and uh, the, the even venture capitalists today are saying, oh my gosh, what are we doing to the world? What are we creating? Where are we going? It's sort of the, you know, the business equivalent of a, of a climate catastrophe. What are we, what are we doing to society? And so it's, it's uh, nobody's fault. <laughs> it's the fact that this happened so quickly. This, this hit us like a freight train. It's all happened so quickly. Technology moved so fast and changed so much so quickly without any rules, without any regulations, without any guidelines. There's nothing that an employee can use to say, um, I'm not going to do this because that, that uh, you know, contradicts my code of ethics or the oath that I took. There's no way for me to say no. And for a technology, for, for a founder, you know, the, the, the thing that's driving, um, the, the, the driving force is like how fast you grow in the market. It's what the venture capitalists want you to do, right? It's not the oath that you took. There's no way to say, I'm not going to, 
um, release this product now because it's not ready, because I'm not sure what it's going to do. There's no reason for me to slow down because everything is about move fast and break things. And so everybody's saying, look, something's got to change. The regulators are saying it, the tech companies, the leaders are saying it, the employees are saying it, consumers are saying it. And all they're really saying essentially is, what are the rules? And it doesn't help if, you know, each company has its own rules because, you know, the, those rules can work for you, but you're saying, well, those are your rules that Apple are very different than the rules at Facebook. The values of Twitter are very different from the values um, at Amazon. And what, what the industry needs is a shared set of values. So every, so the, the playing field is level. Everybody's operating from the same set of principles um, with the same rules, with the same guidelines. Um, and once you have that, then the industry can hold itself accountable. You can, if you mess up, call each other out. There is the pressure from your peers to actually play by the rules and do the right thing. I can you know, um, point something out and say, that actually goes against our code. You're not allowed to do that. But absent that, there is no um, way to hold anybody accountable. And there's nothing to hold them accountable to in the first place, because there is no standard. There is no reason, there's nothing, there's nothing other than if, if, you're, if you're only God is growth, then that's that everything is okay. But what we need is a counterbalancing voice. What we need something is to say growth, but not at all costs. Growth, but with this in mind. So what is our role as, a, as an industry, as a, as, a, as, a, uh, as a trade that's changing society? Let us take into account the power that we have. Let us figure out what our role is collectively. And that's, let's identify the, the, the rules and the guidelines we wanna play by. It really is incredible. Like just th thinking about how large a part technology plays in our lives and how it's exactly like you said, as of now, there are really no rules into how this technology is being played out, how it's dictating our lives. And really, when you take a step back and observe it, it's pretty wild that almost at this point, it's almost like this free for all or anything goes. And that's why the work that you're doing with Pivot for Humanity is so essential and so important. And I, I believe that we are seeing a shift in, okay, something needs to be done about the social tech industry. Yeah, I mean, if you step back from, um... You know, just just think about it as a, as a as a person, as a human being engaging with society, and you think about going to the doctor, right? And you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you to take your clothes off, and you do. And I'm not saying that any all professions are perfect. There are problems because we are human. There are problems all the time, but at least there are rules, and there are some there are some standard you can expect, and there are laws, and there are ways to inform enforce those. But you go and you t the doctor tells you, take your clothes off. And you know that, that that doctor took an oath and that doctor is not supposed to share your information with anybody and that doctor is supposed to do the right thing for you. We do a lot more than that when we go online. We, you know, we do a lot more than take our clothes off. We bear our souls. We, um, we betray our, 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 ourselves, our secrets. We, 
share a lot with people who actually don't have any training in handling that kind of information, don't have any reason to think about what to do with that kind of information. When you think of it that way, it kind of changes things. When you think about like every time I turn my laptop on, somebody has access to my information and somebody's doing something with that information, either figuring out how to, uh, you know, make me think something or sharing it with somebody who might want me to think something. That's a lot of power. And I would want to know that the person who has that power um, at least has a standard that they can be held accountable to. That there's a, yeah. you know, that there's an ethical underpinning to what they're doing. Yeah, this really leads me uh, to my next point that I wanted to ask you in talking about the mission for Pivot for Humanity. This is at a pretty grand scale, really looking to revolutionize the way that the social tech industry is run and working towards creating a more ethical and accountable online world or internet. And so I'm wondering if we could parse this down a little bit, and you were just talking about this a little bit already, is that how can we, to use the word pivot in our own personal lives with regards to our relationship with technology and what action steps can families, companies, small communities do to start making these changes in their lives? Um, that's a great question. I mean, there, there are so many tools and so many great um, uh, organizations and Christina Cook is one of them, work, Jomo is one of them, um, the Wellness Collective. There are lots of wonderful groups that are um, trying to uh, A, educate people so they understand, uh, have a better understanding of their relationship with uh, technology, um, companies that are producing um, tools that help you manage your relationship and the information you share with technology. At Pivot for Humanity, our belief is that, uh, you know, as human beings, alongside these tools that come from the wellness and mindfulness community, um, one thing each person can do is ask more of the companies because unless we hold them accountable, there's no reason for them to change their ways. So it is about saying, hey, why aren't you taking a code? Why won't you say, I will try my best to do no harm? Why won't you think um, about the end user in a way that's more productive? We, you know, in a lot of ways, Pivot for Humanity is, is working right alongside um, the sort of the, the, in, the wellness and mindfulness initiatives um, and supporting them. Those, those initiatives are saying, what can I do as an individual in my own life to protect my sanity? And we are saying the individuals working at those companies themselves ought to do something. And uh, if, if I can humanize myself to them and remind them and show them that I could be their brother or their sister or their mother or their daughter or their cousin or their best friend, if I can remind the people behind the technology that I am uh, flesh and blood and tears and pain and joy and not just an abstraction, um, if I can bring them to an understanding of me as not of ones and zeros, because that's what happens with technology. You lose sight of the fact that the person on the other side of the interaction is deeply human. Um, 
And what we want to do is to help show the people who are building these products to remind them that the that actual human beings, people um, with dreams and ambitions and and uh, ideas and uh, hopes are the ones using their products. And so what we want to help people do is to remind the technologists that they, they should be building for their own kids. They should be building for their parents. So the more we can humanize ourselves for the technologists, the better it is. There, there are lots of people who are saying, you know, change has to come from the outside. And as a believer in the power of human relationships, I think that the power, that the change has to come from the inside. And the only way that that's going to come is from when they realize that their impact has is real and meaningful on other human beings. And when we bring ourselves, when, when we help the technologists who are building these companies understand that they're building them for people, it's not gonna come from other people imposing rules on them. It's coming from, a, from an understanding that uh, there are real and meaningful consequences to every little decision that you make. And that comes from a dialogue. That comes from you understanding that I'm a person. And that really goes back to what we were talking about early and earlier in our conversation uh, regarding all the work that you've been doing with Betwixt Us as well is this importance of building trust and building these deep, meaningful relationships, not only within our teams or with our families or friends, but also with these big companies and really revealing our humanity to them. And as you said, asking more of these tech companies to really be in a position that is ethical. Yeah, and at the end of the day, the question I would have um, all of us ask ourselves is, if they're not willing, you know, put the term, you know, pro professionalization to the side, what Pivot for Humanity is about is, you know, asking the people who are building the technologies, would you take an oath? Would you say, I will try my best to do no harm and then determine what that means. Will you take an oath that says, I will look into possible consequences. I will, you know, I will pull my product if I start to see that there are things that are wrong. Like how, what does it mean? Take an oath and what are the, what does it mean? And if people say no, then we should really wonder what's happened to our world. Oh man, these are so, such important questions and, and things to think about. Jumana, I want to thank you so much for being on the Ships podcast. There's so much of what you were saying today is really what, what we talk about on, on Ships is the importance of genuine, meaningful relationships. And something that I always ask my guests at the end of the episode, and what I'm going to ask you, I'm very curious what your answer is going to be, is that uh, what is your definition of a deep, meaningful human relationship? That's ah, a great question. Um, a, uh, a deep, you know, we talked about how uh, a lot of people have the, the idea that a good relationship is a frictionless one. And I don't think that's true. I think that uh, a good, deep, meaningful relationship is one um, that continually challenges you to grow and um, challenges all parties to grow. So if a relationship is, is, is a nuclear family with children and parents, um, you know, the parents are learning as much as the kids. 
Are you becoming a better person? Are you, uh, are you learning to care in a different way? Are you becoming more adaptable? As long as you're learning from somebody, with somebody, through somebody, that's a deep, meaningful relationship. That's so good. And so important to always remember too, just in the daily relationships we have, whether it's with our spouse, a friend, a coworker, I, I love that is, is to, to have someone that challenges you and that yeah, and, al- yeah, and allows you to step outside that comfort zone to face that friction that we were talking about. Yeah. And I mean, even with yourself, you know, the, there, we, we, we live in a world where people are um, lucky to have lots of ways to help themselves grow and expand and, and introspect and uh, question and challenge. And I think that's what I say. You, you don't forget that you also have a relationship with yourself and you owe it to yourself to say, you know, how can, how, how can I add a little more friction to my life? Yes. Yes. I love that. That's so important. So Giovanna, thank you so much. Before we head on out, I'm just wondering if you could share with our listeners information, whether it be a platform or a website where they could find out more information about you and your work. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, Pivot for Humanity is, is a movement and it's in its uh, uh, early stages and we need all of the, the believers that, um, that, we, that we can get and all the support that we can get. So please find us and join us. And if you want to reach me personally, um, please feel free to, to email me at uh, Jumana, J-U-M-A-N-A, at pivotforhumanity.com. Awesome. Great. Well, we'll make sure to include all that information in the show notes as well for our listeners. So then they could feel free to just check it out and click on the links uh, within the show notes. So Jumana, thank you so much again for joining us on the show. Thank you, Pat. You make it, um, you make it really easy. And in fact, I'm, I'm sort of uh, like wondering what I have to build next to have another conversation with you. It's been really fun. <laughs> thank you. There you have it, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Jumana. And most importantly, I hope there there were things within this episode that really resonated with you that you could go and implement into your own lives. So Jumana, thank you so much for joining us in this episode of Ships. If you liked this episode, please feel free to share it, subscribe, leave a comment or review. I would really appreciate it. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue having on amazing and inspiring guests like Jumana. So please support if you can. Thank you so much for tuning into the Ships Podcast, everyone. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to joining you all in the next episode.